0: Our text is Isaiah 40, verse 26. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls forth each of them by name? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. This is the word of the Lord. Maybe may be seated. Uh, thinking, thinking and vision and where your eyes go, right? This is incredibly important, like what you set your mind on. Addis Huxley says, most of one's life is one prolonged effort to prevent thinking. Interesting. Jonathan Edwards puts it this way, the thoughts and images in people's minds are the invisible powers that constantly govern them. I don't know about you, you may be really good at controlling your finances or moderately good at controlling your career. Maybe some of you are even masters of manipulation. You're really good at controlling other people. But chances are you struggle with controlling your own thought life. Chances are that's probably one of the more difficult things to get a grip on. Chances are you struggle with perspective. Easy to kind of Get mired down in the minutia of life and not have a proper perspective of reality. Really simple like exercise, right? When you're looking straight down, you, you can see really clearly things are a little closer to you. But it's only, right, but my, my actual peripheral, um, my, my periphery is a lot smaller, I can't really see off to the right and left very well. And as soon as I begin to look out, the further out I look, all of a sudden so much more comes into view. It's not like this lens just going to goes, like I can only see in that same tunnel. All of a sudden I can begin to see context for everything else. I think our thought life is linked in a thousand different ways to our perspective. How we see life and how we see what's going on. Um, I have this really, really um, fun, but I believe probably unhealthy habit. Um, I say probably because I think it it speaks to some sort of strange brokenness inside of me, but feels sort of right at the same time. Anyone have a thing like that? Hold on, let me tell you a story. So when I see people walking around Our offices are downtown, and I see people walking around on their phone all the time, right? It's not new. Whenever I catch somebody who I can tell, it's not just like they were walking, and they're like, oh, I got a text, you know, whatever. It happens. But it's when someone is, here, actually, will you just stay right there? Great. That's what you get for going to the bathroom in the middle of (laughs) service. So um, just sort of pretend you're on your phone, right? And just kind of look down and then walk toward me if you would. So my whole thing is just like, as I see that they're not looking, I will purposely like either go right up to the moment where we're like about, and then they're just like startled or I will straight up just make sure that they run into me. You can take a seat. Thank you. Um, That worked out great. Uh, You can see this is a bit moderately unhealthy, but I get so much joy out of like what I feel like is justice. Like get off your phone. You're walking around. You could, here's how I justify it. You could have walked into me. Now I happen to be looking up and I shouldn't be punished for looking up and have to walk around you who's just like, so no, I am going to perfectly position myself to, (laughs) don't you feel stupid? This is your pastor, I know. (laughs) It's hard to look up when it seems like your whole world is right there in your hands. This isn't a dig on smartphones, I just simply mean like, it actually is a great little analogy for life. You feel like the whole world is right here in front of you with all of the details and all of the diapers and all of the stress and all of the issues and everything that's going on. It feels like all of my existence is sitting right here in my Instagram feed and my news feed and the whole world's right here and I fail to look up. And if I walk around the city like that, I'm going to walk into a pastor who's strategically trying to get me to bump into him. <laughs> Isaiah 40. This passage that we're spending time in around this series of lift your eyes. We mentioned a little bit last week. The context here is these Hebrew people who were meant to be a blessing to the world. Who God called out, predestined this tribe for the sake of all the other tribes. They have just they have they have fallen short in all sorts of ways. And they have found themselves in exile and occupation. And they're wondering, like, okay, we messed up. We didn't we weren't faithful here. Is the consequence of that that we now find ourselves under the rule of this other nation? We're not in that promised land that we were supposed to be in. We're not thriving. There's a lot of despair feel a bit lost, and Isaiah 40 rolls in, and here we have God and the prophet speaking to the people, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. So in the midst of of a whole lot of brokenness going on, in the midst of, uh, we're going to see in a minute, their eyes sort of looking down only at their circumstances of what's happening, we hear this, verse 2, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And then as Lonnie shared last week, the the prophet starts to remind these people of what God's like. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded that this God sits upon the throne above? So you've got this language, right, of like the God who looks, who is kind of up, who is enthroned, who is in control. He's got the whole world in his hands. Right? He's... There's something about this prophet that's trying to let these people know. Of like, get your eyes up. Get your eyes up. Because he says then in verse 26, lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. I'd love to like do a little Bible study right there just on that passage. Because actually the writer is almost directly quoting The Babylonian creation myth, their oppressor's idea and vision of what their gods are like. And what Isaiah does right there is takes their language and subverts it and says, no, 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 no. no! It's not Marduk, this like violent idea of how the world came into being. That was the God of their, one of the big gods of their time. No, 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 this, this God is there enthroned above and wants to comfort and speak to his people and speak to his people. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. See, lifting up your eyes is about perspective. It's about getting a bigger view of what's going on. Anyone like to look at um, um, uh, real estate apps? Anyone just do this for fun? I never did this. I didn't even want to own a home. I was like, "We're gonna rent forever." I read all this like information of why this is like best for folks who just want to enjoy their day and life and time and don't want to have to worry about homeownership. And I try to like make this big convincing thing to my wife, and she's like, "Well, let's at least do a condo because it's kind of like renting, and we'll still be able to, you know, have some equity." And so I'm like, "All right, that sounds good. It's a good compromise." I'm like, "But we'll never own a home," and now we've owned a home, and it's like most things in my life, my wife wins. Um, and so, but I found in home ownership, I'm, like, now interested in, like, oh, man, like, what kind of other homes are out there? And what can we do? And, like, looking at the market and all this stuff, like, I just, I'm, I don't feel like myself, but I'm really into it. I'm laying in bed a lot of times just, like, scrolling through, like, could I get some, like, waterside property in Rhode Island? I, I can't, by the way. <laughs> just to be careful, like, what kind of church is it? So I'm looking through, I'm looking through all of this. And I find myself, you ever found a property? Anyone do this? You find a property and then you can click on the, on the Google view, the, the maps, the Google street view. You know what I'm talking about? You click on Google street view and then you can see what's around that. And it's always the houses that I maybe would have a chance at like being able to get access to somehow. And I click the Google street view and I realize why the price is so low because you look at the perspective and you're like, that is the only good thing happening in that neighborhood on that street. You know what I'm talking about? You're like, oh, that house looks so great. Those photos look amazing, like that wide view. And then all of a sudden you click on the thing and it's, there's something about about perspective and lifting your eyes, about getting a, a wider view of what's happening that just naturally, I know I'm kind of being obvious here, just speak, puts things into context. Lifting your eyes is a bit like lifting your perspective, seeing the whole picture. I don't know about you, but I feel like I've learned that life is, I don't know, 10% of what happens and like 90% of how you react to it. I almost feel like that. It's like, it's like whatever, like the stuff that it happens to your life, but so much of like what makes up the blood and guts and day-to-day of life, I feel like it's how you react to it. How you react has a whole lot to do with your perspective. One of the main reasons why people struggle with depression is not as sort of, dark turn here for a moment but like one of the big like this this is the season of depression depression begins to spike medic use of medication begins to spike suicide rates begin to spike this time of year and one of the main causes has a lot to do with basically um the, the way a negative event will cloud your perspective so much to the point where a person doesn't feel like they have anything good to live for it's like that one event all of a sudden takes the whole perspective. That and how they feel about that is everything. One of the main fa- key factors. I think it's like listed at like number two or, or three. And, and, and I think about this. I think about perspective and lifting your eyes and, and this idea that like, yeah, so much of life has to do with how I react to things, not so much like what's happening. Life is gonna happen to you. It makes me think of Peter and, and Judas. So these are two of the most interesting disciples peter and judas um, for those of you brand new to the scriptures these are these apprentices they're called disciples that are following jesus around jesus says you didn't choose me i chose you Pete, jesus chose these folks i don't know if it was for their grit i don't know if it's because they were poor probably it's because they weren't good enough to actually be rabbis and, and be actually trained under a rabbi is very likely but he pulls these 12 out. Probably somewhere between, most of them between the age of 14 and 20. All of them really would have been somewhere in that gap. Probably somewhere towards the younger end of this. Young guys. And he's trying to help them and show them what it means to take his yoke, his teaching. And so they're following him around. So Peter and Judas go to the same places that Jesus goes. They saw, the two of them saw the same things. They were both there that day when Jesus, like... Like, has front of crowds of thousands, and he's got fish, only a couple fish and a couple loaves. And he just does this incredible thing where he somehow allowed, gets the food to, like, reach everybody. And everybody somehow is fed by just the boy's little humble offering. It was the two of them walking out of that scenario going, like, oh, my gosh. Like, there's two of them being amazed and, and, and taken aback by this. Like, there was, there was the two of them in John 1 and 2 with the water turning into wine that that great moment where the wine runs out and 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 jesus jesus is, is is like turned down for what you know like he he jesus i have stupid jokes You're like i don't understand turned down for what hip-hop pop culture it's different don't worry about it look didn't write that um These two disciples saw this incredible moment where Jesus at the the party's coming to an end and he turns the water to wine and makes this big point and points to this epic thing that he's about to do and keeps the party going. And I just imagine the disciples sitting there with, I don't know, was it like goblets that they had of wine, like cheersing one another and like, yes, this is amazing, this, this guy is legit, right? So it's the beginning of the ministry. They experienced the same things. They both had a relationship with Jesus. Look, I have a relationship with Jesus. But I don't have a physical relationship with Jesus. I've never like physically hugged Jesus. How old is it? These guys have the same like, re- like emotional and physical relationship with Jesus and they both made the exact same mistakes. They both failed in, in basically the same way. When pressure comes, when things don't look like they're going to turn out the way they thought, Jesus is not going to lead a revolution to take over Rome. He's going to allow Rome to do the worst it could to him, and then he's going to rise again. But they're not so sure that that's really going to happen. It seems like Jesus is just well-wishing, and he seems to be walking to his death, and we've got everybody against us. And Judas sells Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Right? Right? Judas has this whole plan and he, he groups up with the Roman officials and with the religious authorities and he says, hey, the one that I kissed in the garden, that's the one that's Jesus because the Roman officials didn't even care that much really about Jesus at that point. Jesus sees Judas and he says, friend, do what you came to do. I always love that, by the way. He still calls him friend. He's like, just do what you came to do. But it's like, eat, like I just think that preaches on its own, right? It's like the worst that you could do to God. If you are here and you feel like you have like doubted or done something so awful or walked away or had that thought or done that action like so bad, just hear these words of Jesus to Judas, friend. You're gonna hurt me, you're gonna hurt me and I still call you a friend. So this is the, like, this is, this is Judas and Peter commits the same mistake before the rooster crows three times. Peter says, nah, I don't know that guy. I don't know that guy. When pressure comes, when hurt comes, when the brokenness comes, Peter says, nah, nah, I don't know them. I believe it was a little child, it says in scriptures, that is like, aren't you the one that was with Jesus? Like, Peter can't even stand up to a little kid. He's like, no, no, I don't know what you talking about, kid, just move on. And he betrays him. He betrays him. He curses, it says, the little girl. Judas betrays Jesus because he got paid And Peter does it because he was scared. I was going to preach that, right? It'd be Judas betrays Jesus because he got paid. Peter does it because he was afraid. They both failed. My jokes are not landing today. I'm just going to keep going. They both failed. They failed, but their reactions were very different. I am convinced that all of life, like 10% of life is what happens to you, and 90% is how you react to it. No one likes to talk about in this day and age, and in this age of authenticity, and all that matters is how I genuinely feel moment to moment. No one likes to hear what I'm about to preach. It is not cool, and it's not a message I preach often. Here's the message. You have a choice. Not all the way through. There are people who are going to pass away in your life. And there's depression that's going to hit you. And there are burdens that you bear in your biology that you didn't ask for. But you have a choice on what you are going to do with it. I have a choice on what I am going to do with. And some of us have a bigger share of the world's and sin's burden than others. And it's not fair. And some of life is not fair. But you get to choose what you do with that. And some of us this morning, I think, need to hear that. Lift your eyes. Get them up. Get them up. Get them up. Peter, right, later on writes, all right, so Peter's perspective is so different than Judas. I should finish the story. The way it ends with Judas is he hangs himself, if you don't know the story. Judas, in the midst of feeling the pressure, having betrayed his Savior, he chooses He chooses to be ostracized to step away from community. Peter steps back into community, repents, and then basically the church is built on his back. The gates of hell won't prevail against the thing that Peter is then called to start. I think that Peter doesn't lose sight of the bigger picture. I think Peter keeps his eyes even in the midst of his same failure that Judas commits. When pressure comes, he runs and he doubts and he betrays. Both stories are in that scriptures for a reason. And Peter seems to react so differently. Later on, Peter writes in from a place of health, I assume. He says, cast your cares. He's writing to a church that he started. He says, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Like, Peter knows now. It's like he's saying, I didn't cast my cares before before I held on to my cares, before all I could see were my cares, I had a young, a little girl basically shame me into saying like, no, 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 I don't even know Jesus. Like his eyes, I imagine, right, are down. I'm gonna keep my cares. All I can see are my cares. And then he writes later on in his life, maybe looking back on this moment, cast your cares upon him. Get your eyes up. And get your cares off yourself because he cares for you. He knows you. He didn't cast them. He didn't trust. He didn't trust. He didn't trust. He didn't trust and he, didn't, he failed to see the bigger picture. Turn with me if you would to Psalm 126. I want to hang out here for a minute. Lifting your eyes is about lifting your perspective. Psalm 126, verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. So the writer right here is remembering the good old days. Anyone like remembering the good old days at Christmas? Right? Oh, anyone have just that magical Christmas? Those of you, Christmas triggers good nostalgia, not bad. I know for some of you it's hard season. But even those of you that it's hard now, I find like they go back, oh, but I remember. This Christmas is going to be so hard. Well, they have something to compare it to, to a really good one. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy, the writer's remembering. And then he says, do it again. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy. One translation says, and now God, do it again. Bring rains to our drought-stricken lives so those who planted their crops in despair will shout hurrahs at the harvest. So those who went off with heavy hearts will come home laughing with armloads of blessing. Do it again. I know you've done this before. I know what you're up to in the world and I am not going to get drowned by what is happening right now. Look, I want to humbly submit that one of the most difficult places to live is between what God has done in the past and what you're hoping God will do in the future. Does anyone else feel that? There's a tension right there between this is all the things God's done. Yeah, I want to remember. Yeah, I should remember. Yeah, I get that. I get that. I get that, but it's been a while and I'm hoping God will do some of that, maybe something new. There's some things I'm aiming at over here in the future and I am stuck a bit in the middle. It's a tough place to be. The dry spell Maybe you're there now. When we find ourselves in this place, our eyes instinctively go to what we don't have and what seems to be missing. And our focus goes to our frustration. Our focus goes to our frustration instead of God's faithfulness. Our focus gets drilled down on, on what's missing and not what we have. Some of us, this is easier. Anyone have a friend that always feels like it's easier for them to do? I hope some of you would raise your hands because I'm your friend and this stuff is easy for me to do. <laughs> I have to be honest with this. I was talking through this with, with, uh, with my wife, and this is a part of I've I've shared this before. It's kind of, a, we joke, our role in a our, in our marriage. My job is to reframe. She will just come to me like, Hey. Feeling this, 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 this. I don't even know actually why. Usually it's like, I don't even know why I'm feeling all of this, but this is what's going on. And, it, and like, it's sort of, if this were a cartoon, it's like I roll up my sleeves, like, all right. And I just try to paint a different picture. This is what I see. At the worst, it's just like finding the silver lining and being blindly optimistic. But that the best, at my best, at our best, and maybe you need to find a friend who's like this to help you, It's me simply going, yeah, 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 this is real. We're not denying the 10%. The last thing we want to do is sort of be one of these Christians that sort of shove down anything that's broken. And like, no, it's just victory, just victory, just victory. When half the Psalms are filled with lament and heartache and the blues. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to not know what to do. We know this. We know this. We can name this. But if this is all you're looking at, you're actually not dealing in reality. See, to reframe is not to twist or manipulate reality. It's to look up, zoom out, and see all of it. That, as followers of Jesus, should begin to come easier and easier to us the more and more we spend time with our Lord and Savior. Lifting your eyes is about lifting your perspective, but it doesn't happen naturally. It's a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice. choice. It's a choice. Choice. Lifting your eyes. This passage happens over and over. This command. I think I counted like 18 positive commands in the scripture of lift your eyes, lift your eyes, lift your eyes. How do we develop a habit of doing that? How do we, how do we if this isn't automatic and we have to choose, right? A habit is when I don't know what to do, you still know what to do. That's what a habit is. Like, I'm not going to wait for the good thought. I'm not going to wait till I authentically feel most happy to have that thought. I'm going to build a rhythm and a habit of lifting my eyes. I'm going to program my reaction. Again, I know this does not play well in our current cultural moment, but I'm telling you, it is the people who are able to get their eyes up and see the whole picture and create a rhythm and, and habit around doing this where they have like their daily walk, where they have their three minutes of quiet that happens at the beginning and end of the day, where it has their weekly and monthly and yearly rhythms of pausing and actually physically giving thanks, listing the stuff off and taking time to care for your soul. You care for your car and you care for your house. Maybe you even care for your body, a few of you. No, y'all look good. But to care for our soul, What you feed your body, right, matters, whether it's good or bad, right? What you feed your body has results take place. There's some sort of action when you feed your body. I, on, on the one hand, like, cannot eat the kind of levels of cheese I used to eat. Anyone else? Let me testify. Can I get an amen? Heaven's coming, though. Right? Hope will come again. Peace will come again. That cheese, I can't wait. Walking through the pearly gates, the first thing I'm going to do is grab like a fistful of ricotta. (laughs) Things not in Andrew's notes. Um... I don't know why I talked about that. Cheese. But you feed your soul. What you feed your soul matters. Basic things. Are there rhythms and spaces and time for you to actually feed your soul? Because it's going to affect your outlook and your habits and your ability to regularly lift your eyes. Look, it's saying, habit is saying my view of the world is not dictated by my experiences. My view, if you're taking notes, my view of the world is not dictated by my experience. My experiences are dictated by my view of the world. Like how I process my experiences and what's coming at me are dictated by my view. I'm not going to let the fact that things happen to be hard in this moment dictate how I see all of eternity. It sounds so basic, but we do it all the time. I'm, I'm admitting to you, I'm actually good at this stuff, kind of naturally. Something about my my personality and my disposition. And I struggle with this on the regular. The house is not clean. Suddenly, everything like it feels like eternity crashes in. The Bible has a way of talking about this. I want to end here. Colossians three two says, "Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. Set your minds." 1 Peter 1.13 says, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ has revealed that it it's coming. Preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope on grace. Set your mind on heavenly things. Prepare your minds. Set your vision. There are preemptive strikes. These are patterns we develop Because life comes at you, and we don't have control over our emotions, and we don't have control over our thought life sometimes. What we give our mental real estate to and our feelings to, like, follow our thinking. What are you thinking about? What have you set your minds and your eyes on? If your thoughts are on God and if your eyes are on God, how you feel will flow from that. If your eyes are set there, if you have rhythms of lifting your eyes, of getting time away, of focusing on the Lord, of stop in your downtime moment—I know it's tempting to watch the Crown. I get it. I don't actually get it. I haven't watched it yet, but I know for many of us. But maybe just pause for a hot second and spend some time in the words. Spend some time, like, like write a five-minute journal entry. This sounds so. Basic, and like, that won't even do anything. Try it. I dare you. I want to like, is there a holy way to dare all y'all like this morning? In the most holy spiritual way ever, I dare you to create moments throughout the day to lift your eyes, to lift your eyes. You can will a thought life that is curated in such a way that joy and peace and love and hope, that these themes of Advent are the inevitable byproduct. You can will a thought life that is curated in such a way that joy and peace and love and hope are the inevitable byproduct. One last example for you. Philippians 4, if you turn with me to Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Paul is writing to a church that's suffering, and he says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord always. How often? How often? Happiness is a feeling. Happiness is an emotion. It comes and it goes. And apparently God has something bigger than that, this advent for us. He has joy. And if it's not right in front of you, the scriptures are reminding us to lift your eyes. Make much of God. Always. You're like, I don't know. Always. Rejoice always. Always. So when you... When you get the job, what do we do? We rejoice, right? When we when when our, we walk through the door and our little girl comes running up to us and says, "Daddy, we what?" When you finally meet that person, where's Laura Flanagan? at? you guys, stand up for a minute. These two just got engaged. You guys, stand up for a minute. All right, leave room for the Holy Spirit. What do we do when we meet our person? We rejoice, right? What do we do when we get the raise? We... So what do we do when we don't get the job? What do we do when we've been trying to have a baby and we can't? What do we do when we're still racked by that illness? has gotten a lot quieter. Paul is saying learn the right reaction. Rejoicing in the Lord. He's not saying rejoice in what happened. Rejoice in the Lord, not rejoice. Just give thanks in all circumstances. Like, you, you, re- rejoice in what God has done and what God is doing and what God will do. Don't, re- you don't need like, I am so thankful I lost that job. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. I know that's not the first initial reaction, but what does it look like in the midst of that to get your eyes up on who God is, what God has done? I don't know, God gave you that job in the first place. What did God open up and what were the opportunities in there? Like, what does it look like for us to stop assuming that everything in our like low view, in our myopic, closed off view is all that's happening in reality? Paul is saying, learn the right reaction. Program it in. I rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And then it says the peace of God that transcends all understanding. I always love that that's in there. Because if you're brand new to the way of Jesus, you're like, these people are crazy. And I'm like, yep, it says it right there in the text. There's a peace that transcends all understanding. Look, as I've gotten older, many of my friends have gotten more cynical. And I wanted to attest to you and bear witness that I have gotten less cynical. As I have gotten older, I have begun to trust with more faith the things that I learned in elementary school, the things I learned in Sunday school because I'm beginning to see that it wasn't that so much of my faith had been tried and found wanting. It's that I didn't lean into my third grade Sunday school teacher who read this verse and had me memorize this verse. And if I would have had a lifetime of learning to rejoice in the goodness of God when He tells me hard stuff's going to come. He tells me it's going to be hard. He tells me the world is broken. He tells me there's sin. And He says, when you rejoice in me all the time and you get your eyes on me, there's a peace that doesn't make sense that's going to come on you. How I I wish I had listened to my third grade Sunday school teacher. I'm angry at myself. No, 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 my faith has grown. I've not gotten less cynical and less like, well, you don't just quote that when someone's going through a hard time. I'm almost at the point of like, yeah, let it fly. You know what I'm saying? It's an illogical piece and it will guard your hearts, it says. Advent is all about what's coming. Advent is all about preparing for what's coming. Or better, who's coming. Advent is where we do time travel and we go back and we remember and wait in anticipation for the baby to be born. You can't see what's coming if you don't lift your eyes. Get them up, get them up. Maybe you've been so inundated with the minutia of life, you have forgotten the bigger plan. You've lost your perspective, you have no positive expectations of what could come. And I'm here this morning to tell you that he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world. None of grew up in Sunday school. But he does. We live in the city of Providence, named after the providence of luck, chance, no, of God. The one who is coming is inviting us this Advent to set our eyes on him. The author and perfecter of our faith. The beginning and the end. The giver of all that's good. The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The God who can take the most broken thing in the whole world and make something beautiful out of it. Lift your eyes. Isaiah 40 says this. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired and weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, anybody weary, and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Those who lift their eyes will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles and they will run and not grow weary and they will walk and not be faint. Can we give God a shout of praise for that? So, as we come to the communion table, are we coming to the communion table today? Yeah, great. I can welcome the communion service up. Here's what I want to invite us to do. I'm going to take a moment here. And for those of you who like to like run off at the end of the service, we're doing so good on time, you don't need to worry about it. Stay with me. I want to invite you a little exercise here. And if you're brand new to the way of Jesus, um, man, I hope you're encouraged. I hope that, that even just looking around at a bunch of people who are wanting to take seriously an understanding that they have of the world, that God... Um, has adopted us into his family, that the God of the universe is knowable and not a distant force. That you, you can know that you are loved, that issues around your identity and who you are can be grounded and rooted in being loved, be at peace. That you don't have to fear death any longer. You don't have to fear death. We believe these things about this story. That this roots us and centers us in a sort of peace that allows us to keep our eyes on the bigger picture, on this kingdom of God. So when you close your eyes, I want to argue as followers of Jesus, we should see more than when our eyes are open. Right now with your eyes closed, like what do you see your home? Your job, your family, your marriage, your business, your ministry. What does God see in all of that? What's the future? different than the vision God has for your future. You see your circumstances just today. I just did this exercise last night just closing my eyes, just going, okay. What do I have to be thankful for? What has God done? Maybe you need to go way back. Maybe you just need to go back to yesterday. we see more with our eyes closed in the sense that it allows us to stop exhale maybe for a moment in the stillness catch a vision, vision of a vision of a of a vision that God has for you to prosper you to see you walk in joy and peace and creativity and life Whether you walk with a limp or you are sprinting, there are things that God wants to do and bring out of you to join him in putting this world back together, to contributing to the beauty and life and love, to walk humbly, to do justice, love mercy, this God. One way we lift up our eyes is we close them for a moment. We see with eyes of faith, the opposite of faith isn't doubt. The opposite of faith is sight. But <laughs> we feel like we can only see versus having a, a vision of faith of what God sees and what God has done, what God is doing and what God can do. I love this chorus. We're gonna have this kind of sung over us. I lift, lift my eyes up to the hills. Where's my help come from? It's my morning song, my evening song. I lift my eyes up to the hills, knowing where my help comes from, knowing the author and perfecter of my faith. I lift my eyes and I recognize the gravity, the immensity of God's love. Just as the moon follows the sun, God's love around us, holding us, binding us together, rooting us in him. So as we come to the table, we are reminded of this act of love We're reminded of God's forgiveness. We're reminded of God putting the world back together, starting with laying his life down. In the same way, God dies on the cross. He empties himself. He comes as a baby. The force, the logic, the life, the love that is behind everything manifests itself as a child. He does not come to to rule in the way we think of ruling. He comes to serve. He comes to love so as we come to the table may we experience the Spirit's move may we experience healing and wholeness and forgiveness but today I just pray that we would experience a bit of perspective that somehow in taking that bread and dipping it in that cup Christ's body broke it and blood poured out for each of us we would experience in that moment perspective a holy and divine how big and grand and beautiful is our God and his plan for redemption. Lord Jesus, open our hearts. Amen. Let's stand together. Stand together. Let's come up the center aisle, take the bread and the cup. No pressure to come. If you don't want to come, you can stay where you're seated. We want to invite you to come forward, take the bread, dip it in the cup, come out around the side aisle and we'll finish singing together. If you want prayer, if you need prayer, if you're not sure you need prayer, you just want someone to kind of speak life over you, please come over here and there are people who will be ready to pray for you. But let's come, let's take, let's eat, let's sing, let's rejoice, let's get some perspective together, amen? Amen, let's come.